Matthew chapter 2 once again. There's no shortage of stories these days that deal with missed opportunities. In particular, missed financial opportunities. Maybe you could tell your own story of that. Like, you remember back in 1997, 98, somewhere in there, 99, ordering a book off of a website called Amazon, which was fairly new at the time. And you just had a hunch that this Amazon thing was going to go, but you didn't do anything about it. Or maybe somebody gave you a tip about Tesla, and you thought, well, yeah, this might be the future of automobiles, but you didn't do much about it. You had this window of time, and you, you look back on that window now, and you wish that you would have invested some money, you know, whatever money you had at that opportunity, because it would have changed your life today. But there were other things then. You had other considerations, things you wanted other things that you had to take care of, money that needed to be spent in different ways. And so you look back on those different opportunities in hindsight, and sometimes you just wish that you would have done some things differently. I think maybe one of the most epic of missed financial opportunities happened on May 17th of 2010. There was a guy by the name of Laszlo Hanez who was hungry. He was specifically hungry for pizza. And so he worked out a deal online to buy two large pizzas from Papa John's for 10,000 Bitcoin. Don't know if you've heard about Bitcoin. I don't know if any of you have dabbled in that or not. 10,000 Bitcoin, that was worth about $41 at the time. Today, anybody know the value of 10,000 Bitcoin? It's about $100 million. Yeah. What? $100 million, that's right. And that's pretty rough, you know, but, but I like Laszlo. He's positive. He's, he's a positive guy. He, he talks about how he doesn't regret it. Really? Well, that's what he says. He says, in fact, at the time, it was worth it. And maybe he's right. Maybe at that time it was worth it, two large pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoin, but how about now? I mean, surely he wishes things would have been different now, and can't you just imagine the advertising campaign that Papa John's could make out of that today? I mean, you find Laszlo, this guy who spent the equivalent of $100 million on two large pizzas and says it was worth it, you know, like he looks into the camera, takes a bite, and he goes, worth it you know or, or maybe maybe he's wealthy and he owns a a, a yacht worth a hundred million dollars and he sees a guy carrying two large papa john's pizzas he says hey the yacht's yours just give me the pizza and he takes a bite out of it worth it you know papa john's could just have a heyday with that but but he tries to be positive about it He's, he looks back and says you know it was worth it but it wasn't I mean, really, I mean, if he could go back, don't you think he'd do some things differently? Can you imagine if he's at a party with his friends and one of his friends says, hey, guys, 
Want to order a couple pizzas? Hey, Laz, you got, you, you got 100 mil? You know, things like that. Or, or if he's married, can you imagine the conversations with his wife? Boy, I'd really like that house, honey, if we just had $100 million, you know. I mean, all kinds of things. Maybe you wish you could do some things differently. But there are just seasons of life where you look back and you recognize that this, this was a moment where if I would have invested differently, it would have made all the difference today. And here's what I want to say about that. We're in a season like that as a church and as Christians. We're in a season like that in, in, in this world where we have some unique opportunities some incredible opportunities to spread the gospel, to invest our lives in something that will matter for eternity, to share the love of Jesus around the world. And I don't want us to get on in life later into the future and then look back and think, man, I wish I would have invested my life differently. I wish I would have been more concerned about the eternal matters and the spiritual matters, the things that really do matter. I think we are in a season like that as Christians. And Jesus, in Luke chapter 18, verse 30, he talks about investment language when he's speaking of the sacrifices that we make in this world in order to advance the kingdom of God. He says there in Luke 18, he says, if anyone gives up these different earthly things here for the kingdom of God, they'll receive a hundred times as much in this life and in the life to come, eternal life. A hundred times as much. Folks, that's a 10,000% rate of return. If you put that in economic numbers, it's like if you had $5,000 and you invested it, now it's a half a million dollars. That's the percentage rate. I, I mean, if I had an opportunity like that for you, where I said, hey, give me 5,000 bucks and I'll turn it into half a million. Would you do it? I, I think most people would be thrilled at that. They'd want to be a part of that. Just an incredible opportunity. You'd make changes and adjustments so that you could be a part of that. That's the language Jesus uses to talk about the opportunity that we have to be a part of his mission and prepare the world for eternity. Did you listen to David's prayer? He mentioned it. That as a united group, that we would be involved in doing what the church really ought to be doing, taking the message of Christ to the world. He prayed that. And, and that's, that's the opportunity that we have that we don't want to miss out on. We have, we have the opportunity to be a part of this mission to prepare the world for eternity. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's a, that's a privilege. If you're a part of the family of Christ, if you're a part of the church, it is a privilege that you get the invitation and the opportunity to partner with God in His work right here on this earth. It's the most important thing that you can do with your life. It's to prepare this world and use your life that's, that's just a vapor that appears for a short time and vanishes away, the Bible says, but to use your life to prepare the world for the return of Jesus. 
So are you taking advantage of that opportunity? We've been looking at the wise men from Matthew chapter 2 as an example of this. We saw last week that they traveled more than 900 miles from what would be modern-day Iran to visit Jesus. They sacrificed, they planned, and they come to worship and to give an offering. That's why they came. That should be our heart too, that we would respond to the generosity of God in giving us Jesus by being people that are people of worship and people that are generous. This is the way of God. We see it throughout Scripture. The Bible says, because you've been forgiven, you should forgive. Jesus would say, you need to love because I've loved you. And because God's been generous to us, it should make us the most grateful and the most generous of all people. So in Matthew 2, we read about these wise men going on this journey where they're going to worship and give gifts to Jesus. And it says again in verse 1, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, and then they quote the prophecy that said that. You know, through the years, I don't know how many times I've read that passage of Scripture, and you've read it probably numerous times too. But I guess I never focused in on this one aspect as much as what I did this past week. That when Herod asked the question, where is this king to be born? The chief priests and those religious leaders he called in, they knew the answer to the question. They answered correctly, didn't they? They said, yeah, he's going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. That's what the prophet said. And I'm thinking, okay, if you know the answer to the question, why aren't you there? Why aren't you on your journey to go five to six miles is all to see the new king? Had they not figured it out? These men coming 900 miles, these magi had figured it out and the timing and they come and they ask. And here are these men who've grown up with a heritage of the scriptures and the promise of a Messiah and they couldn't figure it out. Or if they did, why weren't they there? When's the last time you ever saw a nativity scene with chief priests and religious leaders present? No. It just strikes me that sometimes the most religious people have the hardest time making what would have been a, a six-mile journey to go worship Jesus and to give good gifts. They knew the answer to the question. Maybe they took it for granted, or maybe they felt threatened by Jesus. Maybe they just heard the story so much about the coming Messiah that, as we mentioned last week, familiarity doesn't breed contempt, it breeds indifference. Maybe they were just indifferent. Their heart just wasn't engaged. And listen, if your heart is not engaged in worship and giving, 
then an offering's just not going to happen. But they knew the right answer. They just didn't do anything about it. But the person I really want us to talk about for a few minutes is King Herod. History is interesting as it remembers King Herod. His legacy is one of pursuing wealth and power at any cost. He was known for having these elaborate building projects, having uh, remodeled and helped to redo everything around the temple complex, these elaborate palaces that he built in different places, the, the swimming pools that he had there, the, the beautiful gardens that he oversaw. And this man would do anything to protect his wealth and protect his power. Anything. At one time, he had 46 members of the Sanhedrin killed because he saw them to be a threat. He had his brother-in-law drowned in one of his swimming pools because he saw him to be a threat. He killed his mother-in-law for whatever reason. <laughs> Eventually, he had his wife and his children killed, two of his boys, because he saw them as a threat to his wealth and his power and his kingship, his own kids. Caesar Augustus said of Herod, it was safer to be one of Herod's dogs or pigs than to be one of his sons. That was his legacy. He had wealth, he had power, he was afraid of losing it, he would do anything to protect it. So here's what he does. He, he isolates himself from people. Money and power have a way of doing that. People come into wealth and power. They thought they would be a certain way, but oftentimes that wealth and power has more pull on them than they anticipated. And so, you know, there, there are plenty of examples of that. Examples like of the politician that says, if I get elected, I'm going to do this and this, and I'm going to take care of these people. I'm going to change these things. And then they get in that position, and suddenly it just becomes more about protecting your position and protecting your power. You had good intentions, but then you get in that, and you start to isolate. You, you start to question people's motives. And, and more money comes your way, and you start to think people want what you have. And there's just this strange dynamic. It's not always true, but oftentimes it is, that the more money and power someone has, the less authentic and significant relationships they experience. And it's because there's something about that that causes people to isolate. They just don't trust people anymore. They become paranoid of other people's motives. They begin to identify themselves by their position and their possessions. Like, this is what makes me, me, rather than relationships with people and relationships with God. And they start to think about their identity, their definition of success. It's more about what they accumulate. They're more about their portfolio than they are about people. And I think that's the way it was with King Herod. And the Bible would say to King Herod and to people that are wealthy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says, tell those who are rich, and maybe some of you think, well, preacher, that's not me. I'm not rich. Well, you need to think about that. In the context of the world, if you live in the United States, chances are you're in the top 1% to 5%. Just by living in this country. And even if you live below the poverty level of this country, you're still in the top 10% of the wealthiest people in the world. 
which tells you a lot about the rest of the world. Paul says, tell those that are rich not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. But tell them to use their money to do good. They should give happily to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. You know, what you have is yours only because God has given it to you. And Paul says, and by doing this, they'll be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven. It's the only safe investment for eternity. We're here for just a moment, and sometimes we get so caught up in our own little financial investments to make this window of of your life a little bit easier down the road, and yet that's nothing in comparison to eternity. But being involved in the things of God and the spiritual matters, that's the safe investment for eternity. And Herod, his legacy in many ways was a legacy of missed opportunity. He had an opportunity to join the wise men. He had the opportunity to give a gift. He had the opportunity to go and worship Jesus. But he misses it. And don't you think there was a day when he looked back on that and would have done anything to go back and handle it differently? So one of the things that we want to help each other with as a church is to make sure we're making the most of the opportunities and the moments that have eternal impact. And one of the ways we want to help each other as a church family is to encourage and challenge each other to handle our time and our money and our resources and our relationships in the context of not just this life, but in the context of eternal life. Don't miss out on that kind of an opportunity. That's a privilege. And I don't know what you want your legacy to be, but I know what I want my legacy to be. I don't want it to be about building my own kingdom. I want it to be about building his kingdom. I don't want it to be about the temporary pleasures of life. I want it to be about the eternal impact. I don't want my legacy to be, well, he got a couple pizzas. I don't want it to be that. I want want to recognize the times that we live in, the opportunities that we have, and make the most of them. And so we read about King Herod here in verse 7. It continues and says, Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from him the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Well, that was a lie. He had no interest in worshiping Jesus. He wanted to kill Jesus. He saw Jesus as a threat to him and his throne. And so we read in verse 16 that eventually Herod becomes so desperate here that he has every boy aged two and younger in the Bethlehem area killed trying to kill Jesus. But just imagine how much different the story would have gone If he had understood the moment, if he would have joined the wise men, if he would have humbled himself, if he would have gone to worship, if this king would have recognized that the king of kings and the creator of the world was born in a stable just a few miles from his palace. I mean, imagine how different history would remember him if he had taken advantage of the greatest opportunity to come his way. The birth of the Messiah happened during his reign. And instead of making the most of the opportunity to lift him up, 
Herod made the most of the opportunity to take him down. How sad. But what about us? How are we doing with the opportunities God gives us? The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.16 that we should be redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. Now if that confuses you, other translations make its meaning clearer. The New American Standard says we should be making the most of your time. The NIV says we're to be making the most of every opportunity. You know that our time on earth is limited. The psalmist wrote, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. Psalm 39, verse 4. The Bible also tells us not to count on tomorrow because tomorrow may not come for you or for me. All we have is right now. And so our time on this earth is valuable because it's very limited. And that's one reason why Paul tells us to make the most of every opportunity. But he also gives us another reason. He says in Ephesians 5.16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. The days are evil. Jesus said Satan is a robber and a thief. And one of the things he tries to rob from us is our time because time is a very precious possession. And as a thief, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, according to John 10 verse 10. And certainly through Herod, Satan sought to kill and destroy Jesus. The Messiah. We all know that we're living in evil days. And if the days were evil when the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians where he stated that, boy, I wonder what he would think about the times in which we live. Evil runs rampant. Everywhere we look in our world, we can see evil. Many of the things that are promoted and endorsed by our culture today are in direct opposition to what the Word of God teaches And because we live in evil days, we need to make the most of every opportunity. Herod missed his opportunity to make a difference. People all around us are hurting. God gives us opportunities to reach out and help them, to give them hope. One of the ways we do that here is with our food pantry. And now it's time for a commercial message. Edith's wearing a red coat today. If you want to contribute to the food pantry... One of the ways that we help people, just go up and stick money in her pocket. She'll take it. All right? End of commercial. But that's one of the ways that we give hope to people and we try to help people. Our free shopping day is coming up Saturday. And tomorrow evening at 5 o'clock, we need as many people as possible to gather here because everything's already going to be brought in from that storage pod out there. By the way, if you open the door, be careful because it may come rolling out at you. It's that full. And we've got to set up tomorrow night because we're getting a late start, okay, with the services that are here tomorrow. And we need a lot of help. But that's one of the ways that we help give people hope in this community. There's a lot of people that really depend upon our free shopping day. But people are dying without Christ. And they're stepping into a Christless eternity. And God gives us opportunities to share our faith in Jesus with those who need him. Take advantage of those opportunities. Every day, God gives us opportunities to help people. He gives us opportunities to pray and seek his will. And I fear that prayer is one of the most underused weapons that is available to us. 
and how we need to make the most of our opportunities to pray. And when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you were immersed into Him for the remission of your sin, God gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit to live inside you. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have the opportunity to live a victorious Christian life. You have within you the power of the Spirit to overcome sin and defeat sin and to deal with temptation and say no to the things that you need to say no to and yes to the things that you need to say yes to. You have that opportunity because of the Spirit that lives in you. And the question is this. With the Holy Spirit empowering us, will we make the most of the opportunities that God gives us? That's the question. The wise men did. Herod didn't. Will you? We're going to sing a hymn of decision this morning. Now I belong to Jesus. And if that is true for you, that you belong to Christ, then you need to be taking advantage of the opportunity to join Him in the greatest work going on in the world today, preparing people for eternity. That means sharing the message of Christ. How we need to do that. That's why He came, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now He's left that work in our hands. Let's do it as we stand and sing.